and I'm filming the Wog Boy, and we're sitting there, Nick Giannopoulos, the star of it, and the director, and Nick said, look, I've got the script, and I, I'd written me some comment, and I said, oh, bugger it, Nick, I've been accused of saying it, let's do it, and I scratched it out, and I did it. So here we are, today. BuzzFeed, shame, shame, shame. Is it on? Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr Putin. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. No, wait, it, it is on? Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I don't like it. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, may we say God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Is It On? BuzzFeed Australia's political podcast. My name is Alice Workman and sitting literally across from me this week is Mark Stefano. Mark, how you doing? I'm really good. It's good to see your lovely face. You're so bright. You started that intro with real vigour. You had a nice, beautiful voice. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that's lovely. Uh, you also look great. Thanks, Matt. Um, I I wanted to say that um, it's been nearly a year since the election campaign. It feels like a lot longer. A year ago today, we were out on the road, somewhere crazy. And this week, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull hit unlucky 13. That's 13 news polls he's lost in a row. And if you're wondering why that's significant, scratching your head, well, when uh, Malcolm Turnbull challenged Tony Abbott for the leadership of the Liberal Party, one of the reasons he put forward was that uh, actually Tony Abbott had lost 30 news polls in a row. So Malcolm Turnbull losing 13 in a row means that he's got 17 to go before he's in sort of this news poll death zone. It sort of means that people who are out there who are being a little bit naughty in the Liberal Party always look at how many news polls there are to go and thinking to themselves... On this date, we get to challenge. Yeah, even Malcolm though sometimes Turnbull. they lie and say they don't look at news polls, but they yeah, definitely do. they always do. But you were saying that maybe he doesn't need to get to 30, that you know, uh, yeah, a few he's, people... he's close to 15 and that's halfway. Yeah, the fact is 30 news polls is so many, but say you get to 15, that's when people will start having a, a real big chat. I think it was Graham Richardson, um, former Labor pound broker, wrote in The Australian today that there actually could be a spill sometime in June, July. <gasps> Spill. A spill. Yeah. A spill. Richo. And Richo, like, kind of does speak to people. Is so, it on? Yeah. Maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, in today's episode, we chat to the man called the human headline TV and radio broadcaster turned Senator Darren Hinch. Uh, do you remember Darren Hinch as a kid? The actual way I remember Darren Hinch is starring in the seminal film, uh, Wog Boy. And I don't know if you've <laughs> seen Wog Boy recently. <laughs> But I definitely have not seen it's the story. Recently. It's the story of my childhood. <laughs> there is, although it, the main character is Greek, there is a lot of moments. And you are Italian. And I, well, I'm half Italian. There are this mo- There's this moment when little Wog Boy goes off to school, and he's sitting on the ground of the playground, and he opens up his lunch, and there are all of like these deli meats. And these kids run over and they point and they go, Wog boy, Wog boy. And they like, you know, point at him. That was like an actual scene from my childhood. No, really? Yeah. Because people always used to call me like dirty Wog boy when I had like salami breath. Because I always used to take these sandwiches to to school and like quite often they'd be like two meat um, sandwiches. So like there would actually be sandwiches with both salami and mortadella. And I get teased because I'd have bad breath after eating them. And didn't your teacher also call you De Stiffy? That's where the nickname <laughs> comes from. Unconfirmed reports. Unconfirmed reports. Sources have said that, yes. I mean, 
It, it was... Sources have said you said it on a, a nationally broadcast radio program. That's right. Which one did I say that on? On uh, Lindsay McDougall's drive show on Triple J. Oh, that's right. That's right. When no, I but... believe you were talking about the Oscars or something. I don't even know how it came up. <laughs> well, anyway, Darren Hinch to me is the guy who was in Walk Boy who said, shame, shame, shame. Steve Karametsis, shame, shame, shame. Well, we'll chat to Darren Hinch in just a moment. But first up, we're going to run through this week's Fast Five. So that's the five stories that you need to know about from Australian politics. Mark, what is number one? Well, if you were paying attention to politics this week, uh, one of the stories that really did dominate coverage was Gonski 2.0. So um, this is the funding arrangements around public and private schools in Australia. The Gonski 2.0 legislation, the actual funding agreement that's going to be in place for the next decade, that legislation came before the House. They passed it earlier this week, and now it goes to the Senate. Now, the most important thing to remember is Labor is standing against this legislation, saying that it's going to have $22 billion fewer for schools than if Labor were in power. The government's line is that they're scrapping all the old special deals that the former Labor government did with private schools and Catholic schools and all the schools that they actually had to do. So now the legislation will come before the Senate where the government will be gunning to get the Greens on board to pass this thing because Labor won't be going for it. One side note though, Alice, several people have told me that this week they've mm. been less than impressed with uh, Tanya Plibersek's performance as the shadow education spokesperson. Around these Gonski measures, she had a really couple of bad interviews where she stumbled over some things and didn't really seem like she was across her brief. So I think that um, there will be interesting to see whether people out in the community, not just the nerds who are watching politics, will be marking down Labor for the way that they're treating the Gonski measures. So no plebe ascendance anytime soon? Not this time. What's number two? Okay, this is a, a beautiful tale about how a giraffe was killed and then brought <laughs> back is, to life this again. This is story of the week. <laughs> This is huge. So, in this year's budget, unbeknownst to us all a few weeks ago, the government quietly cut funding to Healthy Harold. That's massive. Now, Healthy Harold is a giraffe who uh, travels around the country visiting primary school kids in a carpeted van, teaching them about healthy eating and not to do drugs. And I found out this week, depending on when uh, you went to school, Healthy Harold was either a puppet or a robot. So... <laughs> I had Healthy the puppet. I had the puppet, I had the puppet too. Anyway, so the group that runs Healthy Harold is called Life Education Australia. And they've been funded by the government since they were created about 35 years ago. And this year they asked the government for $1.5 million over the next three years because their program's been growing so much they're aiming to hit uh, 750,000 kids next year. Um, and they're, they're getting kids from the age of three to the age of 17 and they're teaching them about mark. Like these are some important, important issues. From the mouth of a giraffe, a puppet But giraffe. anyway, so someone in the government said no. Who? Well, everyone's pointing fingers. We don't know who said no to them. But so on Tuesday in estimates, it came out that the government didn't fund them because there was too much competition in the drug and alcohol education marketplace and that someone else would get the funding, but they didn't say who it was. Anyway, so I wrote a story about Healthy Harold uh, being cut off from the neck and uh, it went online about 5.45 on Tuesday. And let's just say when the internet found out, they were not happy. And the reaction to the story was so big, it took the Education Minister Simon Birmingham less than three hours to reverse the government's decision and say that they would fund life education next year. So where are we at now? Well, they don't have a new funding agreement yet, but Healthy Harold, I don't know if it's the draft himself or just the life <laughs> education people, will be meeting with the Education Minister on Monday. So we will find out soon. So watch this space, but it's not over. 
till the fat lady sings and the funding agreement has been signed. And I want to read out a tweet. This is from Life Education Australia to Alice Workman. Thank you, Alice, for helping generate such amazing support. So Alice Workman saved healthy Harold. Well, I did ask to speak to Harold directly and was told that I couldn't. So that was a bit disappointing. You were told it was a puppet. <laughs> Number three, One Nation. Now, Alice, I really want to talk about One Nation's week because they've had another horror week here. Another horror week. Another Mark. horror another week. One. Back to back. Horror wow. weeks. Now, uh, remember last week, key party staffer was arrested and they had some pretty embarrassing tussles in estimates. Well, this week, first of all, the ABC aired secret tapes where leader Pauline Hanson appears to be telling one of the former state party treasurers that the plane that she flies around in was donated to her by a property developer. This is very, very significant because Pauline Hanson has previously denied getting the plane from the developer. Mm. The Electoral Commission is investigating everything to do with the plane and there was an amazing Four Corners. If you want to know all about it, you should definitely go online and iView and watch it. Secondly, though, after that story aired, One Nation Senator from New South Wales, Brian Burston, he's like kind of one of the One Nation Senators that hardly ever talks, threatened to hold the entire budget of the government for ransom unless the ABC's funding was cut by $600 million so over the next four <laughs> years. But then it took about a couple of hours later, Pauline Hanson comes out and says, no, 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 we won't be doing that. It's okay. We won't be blocking the government's bills in the Senate. Then thirdly, the Daily Telegraph's Kyla Lusikian revealed that Pauline Hanson was actually getting party donations deposited directly into her personal bank account. She only declared a little over $2,500 to the AEC. And again, it's the former party treasurer who is complaining about this disclosure. It's all happening within One Nation and they've had back-to-back bad weeks. Alice, what's number four? Number four is about, it's another One Nation story, but this time it's about the link, or lack thereof, between refugees and terrorists. Mm. So Australia's top spy chief, aka the head of ASIO, is a guy called Duncan Lewis. And in the last week, he has said twice once in front of the Senate Estimates Committee and once on radio, that there is absolutely, definitively no link between refugees and terrorism. Instead, the blame should go to people choosing to adopt Sunni Islam violent extremist views. Now, Lewis said that he didn't think statistically refugees are more susceptible to terrorism and it's wrong to say what One Nation had been saying, which is that people resort to radicalisation because of their refugee status or background. But One Nation leader, Pauline Hansen isn't happy with his response. She said that his answers are not what the Australian people want to hear. Ooh. And she's basically accused him of lying to the Senate, saying that there was no link between refugees and terrorism because he has contempt for her. This is what she said. She said, I think this is sugar-coated. We need to know the truth. Does he have contempt for me because... It was me that asked the question. Number five is the Margaret Court controversy. If you don't know, Margaret Court is a ridiculously talented tennis player who was breaking records long before it was cool. Anyway, she also happens to be really, 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 really against same-sex marriage. And oh, so I thought you were going to say ridiculously good-looking. <laughs> Margaret Court is now Christian Parser in Perth. Anyway, last week she said that she would boycott Qantas because they support same-sex marriage because that's like a totally like rational thing to do. That <laughs> resulted in people calling for the tennis court that's named after her down in Melbourne called the Margaret Court Arena to be renamed, people are saying, Tina Arena Arena, maybe... Oh, what a great idea. Australian tennis player Casey Delacqua spoke out and said Margaret Court had attacked her for having a baby with her partner Amanda Judd. 
And enough is enough. Then this week, the interview that Margaret Court gave to a Christian radio station was picked up by our colleague Lane Sainty, where she said that tennis today is full of lesbians. That's right, lesbians. She accused lesbian players of leading young players into parties and things while she was playing tennis. She also made this ridiculous, ridiculous comparison between... Um, you know, transgender children and what Hitler and communists did to other minds of children. It was not really a nice thing, but the Prime Minister, because it does come back to politics, weighed in and said that the court recognises her tennis achievements and should keep its name, while Tim Wilson, who's like a very important liberal backbencher, said that the same-sex marriage debate in this country has descended into what he said was, quote, national silliness because of the plebiscite. That is the Fast Five. I mean, what an outrageous statement that lesbians play sport. I mean, next she'll go to Bunnings or see that they, they like flannel or, like or open, comfortable open shoes. open her front door. Like, <laughs> and there's lesbians everywhere. But the other big yarn this week, Mark, came from uh, our next guest, who is crossbench senator Darren Hinch. Yeah, he had a really, really big win because there was a crackdown on pedophiles getting passports. It's something that he's been really campaigning on for a bit over a year. And as he'll explain it in a minute... It all started with a handwritten letter given to him by Oscar-nominated Australian actress Rachel Griffiths. Ooh, okay. Well, here's our chat with Justice Party Senator Darren Hinch, the human headline. Senator Darren Hinch, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Is it on? My pleasure. This is, this is a first for us, isn't it? This is a first for you and I yeah. and the and BuzzFeed. First time you've been on BuzzFeed. Can you talk me through the legislation that sort of came forward this week and was accepted by both sides of politics? Well, I've told the story before, but it goes, this, is the, this is the truth of it. And, um, it goes back to um, last year when I was still senator-elect. Uh, it was early July and I was giving my a speech to the Melbourne Press Club. And uh, as I was walking in there, Mark Rowland from the ABC, he was the MC, and he handed me this little scrawled handwritten note. And he said, oh, this is from Rachel Griffiths. I told her I was meeting you, and she asked me to give you this. And he handed me the note. And That's the, the actress, Rachel Griffiths. The actress, Griffiths. Rachel Griffiths. Sorry, the actress. And, yeah, oh, you've got it right there. here. There. Okay. I, I found okay. it. Yeah, That's the note from her. And virtually what it says... Oh, uh, wow. She says... Um, and it's, it's a lovely note. It says, Dear Darren, firstly, congrats. So proud of you being alive and <laughs> making a difference. I want to reach out regarding a child trafficking and human rights issue. And so it goes on. It's goes like on two, and, two sides. Yeah, and, and the point turns- she makes, the main point she makes is, that how come, she says, that if you're, if you're a bankrupt, you have your passport taken off you for seven years, but not if you're a convicted sex offender on the register? And I, I actually got up and read it out in, in, in the start of my, my speech to the press club. And I actually said, I don't think this could be true. So when I get to a centre and get to Canberra, I said, I'll check it out and see what I can do, and went to the AFP and Foreign Affairs and to uh, Justice Minister Keenan, and I found out it was true. Mm. And not only was it true, but I got the figures that in 2015, this was late last year, more than 800 convicted sex offenders on the Child Sex Offender Register went overseas. More than 340 of them went to Southeast Asia, on what I call child rape holidays, mm. that's what they are, and places like Myanmar and, uh, and uh, Cambodia, Malaysia, Philippines, um, Vietnam. And uh, so I thought, this is wrong. And when I raised it with Julie Bishop and raised it with the Prime Minister, they looked at me like they didn't know what was going on. And, and even yesterday, as we, we got this through, and uh, Tanya Plibersek said to me, I'm amazed it's taken so long that nobody else knew about it. And I said, well, I didn't know about it. And since found out, there are 20,000 
men mainly, some women, on the uh, child sex offenders register, 20,000, mm. and of them more than 3,000 are on it for life. And so they will have, those 3,000 will have their passports taken away from them and they will never travel overseas. The first reaction, I'm sure, from a lot of people will be like, well, we're keeping people out, the bad ones, the terrorists, the other uh, people we don't want in Australia, but then we're also now keeping in child, child sex offenders. I mean, do you have an yeah, answer but, to people uh, yes, who I say... Yes, I do, because yeah. that, that, to me, I find that, and a senator said this to me, he said, well, let them go. I said, hold on, I care about kids, not only in Australia, but overseas. And these people we're keeping in, they're here anyway. They're here. Their names are on the register. They are, they've, some of them have done jail and they've done time and they uh, have to report in usually once a month and once every two months to, the, to the, the local coppers. So the fact you're not exporting them, and the thing is, if they, what they've been doing, they go from here. They go to Cambodia. And I, I was there a couple of years ago and saw them in Siem Reap and, uh, and Phnom Penh. And they go over there, they commit the crimes over there anonymously and then come back here to Australia. So it's just going on and on and on. Now, the thing I want to make sure, though, that people are getting worried, I mean, some emails about it, this doesn't apply to kids who are sexting. Now, some kids who are sexting have been unfairly put on the register, and that should not be, and I want to campaign to have that, have that stopped. But that has to be done state by state. Um, they won't be on it, and they, their passports won't be, won't be taken off them because if a 70-year-old sends a, a picture of his naked body to his 15-year-old or asks her to send it back, that's not what this is about. This is about men who rape children and most of them half of them have attacked children under the age of 13 so this is what we're talking about and and even though it's a mandatory you have your passport pulled and julie bishop says it'll be the biggest once it goes through it'll be the biggest recall of passports since federation so it's huge um you will be able to apply to the authorities on compassionate grounds so if mm. you're if your mum's dying in london you can apply to get a short-term passport to get you over and to see her and come home again. So that they are the two areas where we won't be won't be locked in. And I'm already getting some civil libertarians saying, "Oh, but what about their civil rights? What about their civil liberties?" And my attitude to that is, you rape a child, you lose your civil rights. That's simple. You. This was an election promise for you. It was very clear that it was something that. Actually, I, I'd, I'd love promise? to say it, I'd love to say it was. It was actually post, but was it was it? post. Yeah, I actually thought it wasn't because around that time, but it was like a week after. So my main election promise, and still hasn't been fulfilled, is to get a national public register of convicted sex offenders. That's what I want. This is a huge start, and I'm working with the government. I helped draft this legislation. I'm working with the government down August, September. We'll have some more stuff coming up. And the biggest thing I'm doing, I've been talking to BBC. I want the United Kingdom and New Zealand and Canada to uh, bring their own bands in. I think I said quite brutally, <laughs> I don't want your pedophiles in Australia either. So why other countries? Now, we may get it in the United States first because they're much tougher. They have a, a national register. I've had it for more than 20 years. Uh, and that gives you a photograph, your name, your crimes. Uh, I've been, I've been, when I was working for the Sunday night program, I tried it out twice, once in Times Square, um, in uh, where I just a little punched a little app like Sex Offender. Yeah. And it was like I punched in Motel and little all the flags come up. Sex offender up came like 17 little flags and you punch on one and it shows you his photo, his address, his name, um, the crimes he committed, how long he spent uh, and all of that. We're, we're nowhere near that. And in some states... So you I, would like that? You'd like an app? Yeah, oh, yeah, I would. So you would like an app, sits on people's phones, open it up... It's like, you know, geographically located so you can actually see on like a Google-style well, map yeah, yeah. And where sex offenders yeah. are around you. I mean, in, in the United States, uh, you can't... Uh, you, if, if you know a sex offender lives in the house next door and you're a real estate agent, you have to tell the people buying the house. That's in Florida. 
um, and other states. Um, I think it's in, in um, Colorado or Arkansas. I'm not quite sure now, but the cases where you, one guy just got ten years. I know I've got ten years jail for. He was a teacher who had. He, he sent his computer in to be repaired, and the computer mechanic found uh, child porn. And he was a teacher. He got ten years for that, um, and he can't leave the state. If he wants to move in a state, he has to apply to the governor of the new state saying, can you come in? So their laws are much, much tougher than ours. Um, was there horse trading on this, though? Have you given no. the government something That's in the return for this I've passport said, I've ban? said from day one I got here, I don't horse trade. So I've you given won't. them nothing. I've no. given them... I've given, they've, they've, they've given... There's no trade. I have to vote for them on this or vote for that. I've voted for the government. I think the Australian kept, kept record of it about 62% of the time, and otherwise I voted for Labor. And I voted so often with the Greens on a couple of things last year. I said, <laughs> my God, I said to Ditalia, I said, oh, my God, I'm a 10th Green this morning, you know. So I take every, everyone on, on, on its merits, and, and I can proudly say I'm the only senator, independent or, or um, government or opposition, who's attended every division since of this parliament, and there's been more than 200 of them. Well, you must, you must be in the in the chamber quite a few times because there's been photos of you sleeping in Parliament. Yeah, on day one. <laughs> on day one. On day one it was. <laughs> and the thing is, uh, Paul Barry claimed in Media Watch that that was a fake, that I was pretending, because that was in the middle of my campaign to allow cameras into the Senate, which I have achieved now, cameras and TV cameras, and he thought it was a fake because if that photo had been taken the following day, it would have been illegal to print it. That's because right. you, right. I, I wasn't on the feet, my feet certainly wasn't, and didn't have the call. Um, but they made an exemption because of the day the parliament opened. And the funny thing was, Bob Catter said to me, he said, my God, he said, uh, I, got, I got nudged a couple of times to keep me awake. And Christopher Pine was asleep, so was Brandis. I said, yeah, but they wanted me. They wanted me, <laughs> and they got me, so. And, and so you've fallen asleep a few times. Can we go back yeah, the same thing yeah. about falling asleep? What, that should have triggered something. Why wouldn't we have a Governor-General... He read a boring speech for 45 minutes uh, in a monotone because he can't show that he approves or disapproves. Mm. Why can't the Governor-General get up there and, and say, um, uh, I'm opening Parliament, da 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 the usher of the black rods there and all the pomp and circumstance, and then he says, I now hand over to my Prime Minister to deliver his State of the Union. Yeah. Rather than the Queen saying, my government, she reads stuff she doesn't believe in. Yeah, and it's so, very strange, it wouldn't isn't it? would be a great idea, Alice, if we did that. So, uh, <laughs> I like the woman. I like the woman. We'll get back to Senator Darren Hinch in just a minute when he'll tell us all about him being caught drinking booze after his liver transplant and also that really famous photo of him when he did a Playboy shoot with a nude model in bed reading a copy of The Age. Mm -hmm. What a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Um, But now it's time for some gallery whispers. Whisper gossip that we've heard around Parliament House this week. Gallery whispers. Mark, this segment has fans. Yeah. But it also has many foes. Yeah. Didn't, so, didn't someone come up to you in a pub this week? So I was at a pub drinking with my mates and some guy randomly came up behind me and whispered in my ear, can you please shut the fuck up with gallery whispers? And then walked away. It was a little bit threatening and also terrifying. Gallery whispers. Did he actually swear? Yeah, he said, shut the fuck up with the whispers. So, Alice, what's your first (laughs) whisper this week? Okay, Mark. All the big weeks of commercial television were here this week. 
and it reminded me of a TV event I went to when I was talking to Liberal Senator Dean Smith from WA. There were celebs all around us. Carl Stefanovic was there. Carl. So was Roger Corsa. He just started his show, Doctor Doctor. <laughs> anyway, Dean Smith didn't know who anyone was, and I pointed out Scott Cam from the television program The Block, and Dean Smith said, "Who's that?" And I said, "It's the guy who just won a gold Loki." And Dean Smith said, "Oh, I thought he was the waiter." Oh my God, that's embarrassing. And he. He'd either given him his empty drink or asked him for a drink. <laughs> Gallery whispers. Gallery whispers. My first whisper this week is that I was at that media executive drinks and Fairfax executive head on show, Greg Highwood, came up to have a chat and I can exclusively reveal that Greg Highwood is on Instagram and uses Instagram stories to stay in touch with his sons and his children. So I find that to be highly, highly saucy. Greg Highwood is on Instagram. That's very agile and innovative of him. Gallery whispers. Did you know, Mark, that Liberal Democrat Senator David Lionel is a Swedish baron? <laughs> and Liberal backbencher Ian Goodenough is in line for a title in the UK, That's crazy. which means he could get a seat in the House of Lords in UK Parliament. Gallery whispers. <laughs> My second whisper this week is the fact that for the midwinter poll, which is the big get-together for journalists and politicians in the middle of the year, everyone usually invites politicians. And Fairfax, I have two Fairfax rumours this week. Fairfax has invited Peter the Potato Head Dutton, which is quite controversial because he has spent the better half of two years bagging out Fairfax in public, saying that Fairfax is waging a little bit of jihad against the government and actually publicly celebrated the fact that Fairfax were losing jobs a few weeks ago. But Peter Hutcher, the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, invited Peter Dutton. So Dutton, Sydney Morning Herald journalist and Tanya Plibersek will all be sitting together. Gallery whispers. What a weird table. What a weird as hell table. Gallery whispers. Um, and then one last gallery whisper. There are three staffers working for Christopher Pine who are running for parliament. One is running for pre-selection in a state seat in Victoria. One is running for pre-selection in a federal seat which currently has a liberal in it, controversial, oh. in Sydney. And another one was just pre-selected for a state seat in South Australia. Oh. Christopher Pine. That's the way you want to go. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but um, I asked someone once about Peter Dutton and the potato thing and yeah. whether... Um, and whether he would he he got upset by people calling him or comparing him to a potato. And apparently no. The only thing that's upset <laughs> him is that one year for Halloween he saw a picture of someone wearing a Peter Dutton mask for Halloween. Yeah. And he didn't like that. That was upsetting. 
Can you, so he's, if, like, he's okay if, with the potato. If there are any listeners out there that have ever dressed up as Peter Dutton for Halloween, send us pictures. Yeah. I'd like to know how you did Tweet it. Tweet us your pictures. Tweet us pictures or send us DMs about your Peter Dutton costumes because I'd like to know what a, a mask look like, looks like because I reckon just, he's got just, a terrifying you out, face. You just print out his face and you shave your head. Yeah, that's true. You could do that. And then wear a potato sack. <laughs> <laughs> Stop some boats. Okay, let's go back to Darren Hinch. <laughs> In Australian life, you're very famous as a broadcaster. You've got a storied career. And one of the things you're famous for also is you had a liver transplant. Yep. Um, have you stayed off the booze while you've been in Canberra for the... No. No? No. I occasionally have a drink. I, I, you go to the pub, you'll see I'm, I'll go with my staff sometimes. and I have a, I, they, they hate it because I water down a glass of white wine or I water down a glass of red wine. So like you're allowed a little bit. Yeah, I've talked, I've talked to my yeah. doctor about it. And, yeah. uh, and the, I, got, I got savage about it when I when it was... I remember when, that. It was in the Herald Sun. Page one, shame, yeah. hinge, shame and yeah. whatever. Uh, and the argument that, that I put forward, and it's not an excuse, is that uh, I have to live... I'm still going to live a life. I mean, I've interviewed George Best's widow... Right, Alex. Mm. So he he had a uh, transplant, jumped the queue, had a transplant. Within eighteen months, he was picked up for uh, drink driving. Within two years, he was dead. Now that's madness. Mm. You know? I mean, it's madness. But a social drink. And I, my biggest crime is that I I watered down a glass of Grange, the first Christmas. I was, no, third Christmas, third Christmas. Um, but the point is, and people say, oh, what about the poor guy whose liver you got? How you've you've uh, dishonoured his liver. Now I love the family. Uh, the family. I, did, Heath, did they ever speak to the Heath, family? Heath, Heath Gardner was his name. Yep. I've met his parents. I met both his parents. Uh, Chopper Reed was his idol. Chopper Reed was his idol. His most favourite possession was a meat cleaver that says "Never, never plead guilty." Signed Chopper. Um, he was a a drug user, a drug dealer. Um, and now that livers inside. A standover you. man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this. Um, and uh, I, I told my sister this. She said. Uh, she said, um, oh, why? She's typical you, Darren. Why could he be a 50-year-old accountant who played lawn bowls? You know? he, he, he died the night before his, I think his 28th birthday. He committed suicide, committed suicide shot himself. Uh, and it shows the whimsical way of this is that two quick stories. One is that um, he shot himself. His dad had followed him home that night because he thought he was drunk or drugged, drunk mainly. Uh, and he had an argument. With his, he took disgusting with his girlfriend and then he went on the couch. And I've actually seen his dying body, the, the police photos of my donor, uh, because the family approached me and I sent him a very obscure note saying, if I did get your brother's, she wrote to me on New Year's Day, I said, if I did get your brother's liver, thank you. If I didn't, I thank you on behalf of the person who did, because <laughs> and I didn't know. And now I, I, I said to a friend, I said, I wish she'd write me a bit more, because I'd recognise a bit of the language, you know, and she wrote me a par that only I could have written uh, because it has to be fairly obscure. You can't say, hi, you, know, you can't write a thank you note. You say, hi, I'm currently under house arrest. Um, dali, 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 but thank you anonymously for, for your brother's liver. Um, but in one of the weirdest things was, when I was then was, had the transplant, and then I'm in Langy Calcal jail several years later, and a guy came up to me, a big tough guy, he had broken knuckles from here, he and Heath had beaten up a bikey outside a bikey gang headquarters. Not <laughs> not smart, right? Not smart. Anyway, he came up to me and and a big tough guy. And I'd seen a photo of him and Heath and Heath's girlfriend. And I recognised him and he said, yeah, Heath was my best mate. I said, you were the guy. He said, yeah, we did everything together. And he said, now here we are. And I perhaps... Um, not thinking it through, I said, well, here the three of us are again. There's Heath, <laughs> I t- touched my, my heart, and you and me, and this big bruiser burst into tears. And oh, it was a, right. <laughs> he just started crying. There was a bit, so. um, 
I want to ask you about another thing. Uh, yep. One Nation this week has had a rough one. You've uh, deservedly so. Deservedly so. Why do you think that? Do you think that well, Pauline read Hansen the, read the tapes? Yeah. I mean, I I seriously believe this is last week before the list week one and the plane stuff. Yeah. Uh, last week I said that I think that quite seriously that uh, that Pauline Hanson and James Ashby or James Cashby as the Courier Mail calls him now uh, seriously could face charges of of conspiracy to defraud the people of Queensland through the electoral commissioner. I mean, they had you heard the tapes. I sat in my hotel room listening to them, and he's going to say, "Oh, we we can can make money out of, out of state elections. Easy to make money out of state election. I'll tell you how." And then he says, "If it gets out, I'll deny it." You, you, you slug your own candidates. A five dollar call flute. You sell it to them for eleven. Uh, you get half it back, and then you, when you put the the invoices into the electoral commission, you put it in for the full amount. Is there momentum here? No, that I, don't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, uh, she was elected, fairly elected, mm. and all that. But there's a touch of the Trumpism here because I thought that, that Donald Trump, I thought Donald Trump was gone for all money. I never thought he'd elect him. I thought he's gone for all money just for the election when he when the, when the so-called pussy tape was released. I thought you're gone because a lot of Australians wouldn't understand. Having lived, even though the Brexit was revolting, in America, that word is more offensive than the c word. Mm. I mean, the New York Daily News didn't print the word "pussy" on their front page. They put "p" and then "cat's faces" and then "y" because it's so offensive over there. Uh, and I thought he can't survive this. But getting back to Hanson, her supporters, I think, will forgive her anything. The way that Donald Trump's sold it on supporters will back him. So I don't think it's hurting her. I mean, she's getting 9% nationally consistently in, in, in the polls. There's a really iconic image of you that gets circulated around the internet quite a few stop, times. Stop, stop. Do you know what it is? Me in bed with a model yes. in Playboy magazine. That's right. So it's you. Uh, Can so you they, explain they, to they, me? They, because they, I've always looked at that. That, that photo always comes up. Mm. And I've always thought to myself, what's going on there? <laughs> What is it? What, well, what's well, the nothing was photo? going. Nothing was going on there. Right, um, but it's you. It was in Playboy. The photo. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. I was. Um, uh, she was a professional actress named Alison Best. <laughs> I think she was a sister of Peter Best, the director. Uh, um, and I was. I remember I was pretty broke then. I just moved to Melbourne, and uh, Playboy magazine offered me three hundred dollars, uh, and they would for the story, and they would fly me to Sydney. Um, and I would have for the ultimate dirty weekend, it was described as. Jeez. How do you have the ultimate dirty weekend? And they would pay for it. So they flew me to Sydney. Uh, they had this model. I must have been off there was going to be an unusual photo shoot when I walked into the suite at the Hilton Hotel. Yeah. And there sitting topless, um, I didn't know, I, I lied, I didn't know that people did this. Um, she was sitting there having her nipples rouged uh, by a makeup artist. <laughs> and why I know that happens is because I just flashed on this for about 30 years ago. I interviewed Helen Gurley Brown, who started Cosmopolitan magazine, and uh, and she went at great lengths to explain to me how she always rouged her nipples. So that, that was <laughs> there you go. And the and the photo. So, and so, there, so, so we set up the photo in bed. Yeah. And uh, and uh, ironically, decades later, because it does keep floating it around. Go, it, it comes up all the time um, on Twitter. It came up yesterday. Rob Harris put it up. Yeah. I think from the Herald Sun. Anyway, I um, I if you look at it closely, the She's lying in bed feeding me grapes half naked and um, I'm actually reading, pretending to read The Age and I, I wrote to Ron Walker when he was chairman of The Age and said, you might want to use this in an advertising campaign. See, nothing distracts a person when they're reading The Age. <laughs> <laughs> Although, of course, 
Although these days you're easily distracted when you read the age. And so, and so if people uh, haven't kept track, we'll make sure that we post, uh, <laughs> post oh, yeah. the photo because it is an iconic photo really of the internet and of oh, you. It's goodness. the one that always pops and up. It was in, in, in with hairy chest and gold chains and Mr. T style. Yeah, there. exactly. Right. And no, it's, it's true. It happened. And, uh, and, and the, ironically, the ironical thing was that uh, – uh, was it um, – I used the name, I called, the, the, nobody knew who she was, but I, I said that the, the woman I went away for the weekend with uh, was Alison. Uh, and that was, and, and by, the, by the time the magazine published the article months and months later, I was going out with a newsreader in, uh, in Melbourne called Annette Allison. So we thought, oh, there's a code word here. It was just purely coincidental. It had nothing to do with it. But. The podcast itself is called Is It On? Because mm. in Australian politics, it always feels as though that there's a leadership spill around yeah. the corner. I'd like... To know from you, do you think it's on? Is it on around here at the moment? Which side? My question to you. Which side? Which, <laughs> Which side, side is more on? Uh, I don't think it's on on either side right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, I think that the uh, I think the passion for Abbott is waning in, in his own little group. I mean, the passion for Abbott waned a long time ago outside the, the, the Parliament House. I think um, Albert, uh, uh, Anthony Albanese is um, putting up some good ideas. Mm. I think he's. I think his criticism of shortening over the budget. Was legit. They should have embraced it and said, "See, look at that, look, yeah. all our good Medicare, ideas." Gonski, yeah, yeah. we win. So, but I mean, I, I'm sure that the, the, every fortnight they look at the polls and they see that Shorten is not improving in the polls. I know I have unkindly once said years ago, so I have to wear it again. I said when I was before I jumped the shark, I said, "How can you believe a word Bill Shorten says when his own face doesn't believe it?" Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, he, 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 they are they're holding what. 5347, uh, they've been holding that for, for some weeks. Um, and I, I love it when they say we don't look at the polls, then we do look at the polls, we don't. And, you know. and it's like John Laws, you say, oh, I never read articles. I never read articles about myself. Bullshit. You know. <laughs> they all do. Thank you so much, Senator Hinch. Thanks. Um, last thing I'll ask you to do, can yeah. you please just say for us, because I'm a huge fan of, um, of your earlier work and of the movie Wog Boy, can you please say for us, BuzzFeed News, shame, shame, shame. Before I do, let me tell you that the first time the f- I knew, I, I, like James Cady never said you do, didn't say you dirty rat, and Kerry Grant didn't say Judy, Judy, Judy. Uh, I did not say shame, shame, shame. It was Steve Vizard as Hunch. The closest I got to it, the closest I got to it, I was be interviewing Malcolm Fraser, uh, and I said I was attacking him over us recognizing Pol Pot in the United Nations, even after to appease the Chinese, uh, even though he slaughtered nearly two million of his own people. And I, I and he did that po face souvenir from the Easter Islands look, you know, stuck his nose in the air and he said, Well, that's just the way it is. And I said, Well, shame, Australia, shame. And Visor then took it and ran with it, and people yelled, Shame, shame, shame at me in the street. And Doug Cameron did it in the chamber just the other day. And I'm filming the Wog Boy, and we're sitting there, Nick Giannopoulos, the star of it, and the director. And Nick said, Look, I got the script. And I, I'd written me some comment, and I said, Ah, oh, Bugger it, Nick. I've been accused of saying it. Let's do it. And I scratched it out and I did it. So here we are. Buzzfeed, shame, shame, shame. I like big woman. I like big woman. I like big woman. That was really interesting. He's super interesting. Now, Darren Hinch has a bobblehead mm. of himself yes. on his desk. Massive narcissist. Who did he say made the bobblehead? He he had someone from Channel 7 come in to do a feature interview with him from the Sunday night program, and apparently a journalist came in and brought the Dar- Darren Hinch bobblehead with them. 
and now it's sitting there on the desk. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. As we were leaving, I also, uh, well, as Darren was showing us around his office, I also spotted the infamous preference whisperer. whisperer. Glenn Drury. Now, if you don't know who Glenn Drury is, he's the man who I think understands Senate preferential voting and counting better than anyone else Except in for Anthony Grant. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, he's responsible for getting independents and minor parties, such as Darren, and also you might remember Ricky Muir from the Motoring Enthusiast Party, who was involved in the last Senate. Well, he's the person responsible for getting these smaller guys elected by doing these complicated preference deals. Um, Google him. It's totally worth it. Anyway, I saw him hanging out in the office. and Interesting. He's been spotted chatting with Rodney Cullerton, hey. former One Nation senator. So... One to watch. Anyway, let's chat Bin Juice, the stories of the week we didn't think got enough media attention. Mark, what yarns are you wiping the Bin Juices off this week? Well, the story that I want to talk about on the podcast this week is one that I reported on Monday, and I'm sure you know how much I love, 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 love Mark Latham, the former Labor leader who's been so good that he's been out at two media organisations in two years, and now he's setting up his own this weird libertarian right-wing echo chamber on Facebook. Well, I got a whisper in my ear on Monday that Mark Latham actually held his official launch for his Outsiders group at a place called, wait for it, Wombat Hollow. It sounds delightful. It sounds like like heading down to Wombat Hollow. Like I mean, just- is, is that because it's called... Dingo Twitter, so therefore they launched it at Wombat Hollow. <laughs> so I hadn't thought of that. I'm, I haven't thought of that. It's actually the homestead of the former New South Wales Liberal State Party Treasurer, Michael Yabsley. He owns and lives in the hollow, and people were charged $25 to attend last Sunday, and they were there for what was being billed as the launch of the, quote, anti-get-up or right-wing get-up. Also, who... the Also, the speakers that were there were Liberal MP Tim Wilson and one of your favourites... Alan Jones, and two-time accused plagiarist Tanvir Ahmed. So the group of around 400 people did show up, and they were treated to three hours of speeches, which apparently railed against social engineering, the elites, and political correctness. You can imagine the, the marks that he hit. And I just wanted to say, watch this space, though, because there's a lot of anger in conservative circles right now about the way the Liberal Party has kind of swung away from upholding like hard right positions on moral things and things like Islam and safe schools. And Mark Latham and his gang of merry people um, are actually running into this space um, and trying to foment a lot of that anger into a, a movement of people. And the thing that what he's calling is an anti-get-up. But I'll end my binges with a tweet from Fairfax political writer Jacqueline Maley, who linked to the piece and said, uh, in quotes, waging a war against elitism from the private Southern Highlands estate of a former Liberal Party treasurer. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the setting of Wind in the Willows. Um, (laughs) Yes, it does. Except Sam Armitage from Sunrise was there. Yeah, I actually didn't write that in the piece, but um, Sam Armitage from Sunrise was an attendee. Interesting. So, Alice, what's your binge juice this week? It's been my topic on binge juice before, Mark. Oh, God. And I'm sure it will be my topic on binge juice oh, no. in the future. I'm talking rando drug tests on people on Centrelink benefits. Yeah. Now, over the last two weeks of estimates, we've learned some interesting little tidbits about the Turnbull government's two-year drug trial. This week, we learned that the government commissioned the policy 12 months in advance from mm. the Social Services Department. Mm. And over that 12 months... The Social Services Department didn't consult any legal, human rights, drug, medical experts over the whole 12 months that they were writing this policy. But what they did read was a secret government report from August 2013, which I uncovered this week, 
uh, when Kevin Rudd was Prime Minister for the second time, if you can remember back that far. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this report said that welfare drug testing shouldn't be pursued by any government because of its ethical and legal concerns, high social and economic cost. The report was by the Australian National Council on Drugs, which at the time was uh, a government-funded group, um, but then uh, got defunded when the Abbott government came in a year later. Uh, Anyway, so this report said that drug testing didn't meet the three aims that the Turnbull government is currently stating as the reasons behind their random drug test policy. So that would be it being a deterrent to drug use, increased employment participation, or reducing welfare spending. This report says, hits all of those nails on the hand and says, nup, nup, nup. As Tony Abbott would say, nope, 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 nope. He won't do any of those things. And it clearly says that Britain and Canada abandoned similar programs before they started them because they were found to be discriminatory and unfair. And one UK report even said that it was a step too far and that it was dangerous. In the US, the um, drug testing has been expensive, unconstitutional and produced astonishingly poor results. Mark. Let me give you an idea. Okay. In the last year, it cost 13 states $1.3 million to drug test low-income um, people who were applying for welfare. Four of those 13 states had zero positive results. Zero. That's a lot of zeros. When Arizona ran a, a drug testing trial from 2011 to 2014, two people out of more than 108,000 who were tested were found to be positive. Just two. Two whole people. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so when the officials from the Department of Social Services were asked about this report, they said, yes, we have read it and we have considered it during the 12 months we were writing this, but we still decided to do it anyway. Yeah. And uh, during those 12 months, we didn't seek any advice from legal, human rights, medical or drug experts, and the government's still going ahead with the plan. And uh, It's happening. Do you, it. But do you that's not it. think also that so much of what we've heard about this drug testing welfare trial and it's come from Malcolm Turnbull, it's come from Christian Porter, that in many ways it's not necessarily about catching people. It's about deterring people. Like and the more people talk about it, the more it'll sort of suggest to people who are going to welfare not to do drugs. And in many ways they're gonna claim as credit any type of well, it's a communications victory. But this report found that it doesn't actually deter people. And if you look but at the stats... But even us talking about it, isn't it sad? I mean, I'm just being a little bit sad about it. Mm. Well, in the stats from the US, one of the... Um, uh, so when two people uh, out of 108,000 tested positive, 12 people refused to take the test and got their money... Because um, in America, if you tested positive, you get your money taken off. Yeah. It, it, more people just refused to take the test and to have their money stripped off them than have this kind of blemish on their record. So I think that, if anything, uh, the data shows that it's probably shouldn't be pursued as the report itself finds. Hey, Recommendation. Let's, let's Do not, not pursue let's this Let's not report. put opinion into this podcast. <laughs> anyway. Well, I think that's all we have time for this week. Mark, yep. thank you so much for coming to Canberra. Yes. And being in the building. It's cold. Um, we also have to thank Lane Sainty, who was... L- Love Lane Sainty. Awkwardly sitting in the room listening to us as we record this. And <laughs> Hi, Lane. Just gave us a big wave. Hi, Lane. Um, and Nick Ray, Nicola Harvey, Richard James, Peter Holmes, and the whole pod team. Uh, please, 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 please get in touch with us. Uh, 
Tell us who you think we should uh, chat to on the podcast yeah, over the next suggestions. few weeks. Yeah, if you've got, or if you've got any gallery whispers tips, I'm uh, at Workman Alice on Twitter. Mark is at Mark DeSteph. Yes. You can go to buzzfeed.com slash is it on or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Leave a rating and a review. Um, if you wanted to write a little tidbit in your review, Mark's hair is looking uh, particularly buoyant today. Really? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, the next episode's coming out next week. Uh, finally, Mark. Oh, and to give a bit of forward sizzle, Hello. which is a radio term uh, that I learned when I worked in radio. Yeah. Uh, next episode. Okay. There's going to be. I'm bringing a guest along to Gallery Whispers. Oof. Who um, is going to tell a really interesting story about the job that he did after uni, which involves the film Lord of the Rings. What? Yeah. Lord of the Rings sizzle. Yeah, man. Anyway, let's wrap up, Mark. The question I ask you every episode. Is it on? A 13th of... All right. No, wait. No, it's not. But 13 divided by 30. What's that? Whatever <laughs> whatever that is, that's how much on it is. 0.4. So it's 40% on. There you go. There's my answer this week. Great. Thanks, Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thanks, Mark. Bye, Lane.